0: If you brought your Bibles today, I'm going to invite you to um, just open up uh, to the book of Isaiah, and uh, it's been an interesting weekend here at uh, the Women's Conference at Faith Family Church, and the overall sense that I have had is that the Lord has been at work to make sure that everything about you is in alignment for what he's about to do. Uh, we started out this weekend with a dream that I had. I'll be honest with you; it's a little different for me not to have a dream. But uh, I'm pretty typically uh, pretty private about uh, things that the Lord speaks to me, unless it's a word for someone. Uh, I'm I'm fairly private about. Um, sort of more supernatural experiences that I have. Um, But regardless of that fact, uh, about a few nights before I got on a plane to come here, I had a prophetic dream. And in this dream, I walked into a church service, and it was fairly toward the end for some reason. When I walked up to the front at the dismissing of the service, there was a a minister that had ministered that night. It was a nationally known minister, and, and I actually know this minister on a personal basis to some degree. And so when I walked up, uh, she saw me and 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 said something to me. And so I walked over to her just to sort of greet her and and just sort of make conversations, sort of shallow talk. But I could tell as I was doing that, she was not paying attention to what I was saying. And the whole time that I was making shallow conversation, she kept looking at her wrist, and she looked at my wrist, and she'd look at her wrist, and she'd look at my wrist, and then sort of just interrupting my shallow conversation, she looked at me, and she said, "Uh, where do you live again, and I told her, and uh, she said, oh, and she turned to walk away, and as she did, she reached down on her wrist, She took a watch, it was a diamond watch, off of her wrist, and she slapped it onto mine. And when she did, she got real serious, and she kind of leaned into my face, and she said, It's time. And I woke up. I don't just take every dream as from the Lord or consider every dream a a prophetic dream. It's actually fairly rare that I dream. But there was such a weightiness that was... uh, like a residue on me when I woke up, that I knew this was from the Spirit of the Lord. And I recognized immediately that there were layers to this dream. Uh, Paul talks about this. He calls it the manifold wisdom of God. And so I knew there was a, a layer that was speaking to my personal life and speaking to the ministry that, that I am called to carry But I also knew that there was something that God was saying about the time and the season we're in in the body of Christ. And I also believe that because this happened just a few days out from my coming to you, I believe that it is specifically a word for this house. That it is time. And there is this sense that as this declaration is made over you and And even just the little bit of time that I have had here, I've had the sense that this isn't uh, a shocking thing to say to this house, that there's sort of been this background understanding of we are coming into a new place and there is this sense for those of you who have spiritual eyes to see and ears to hear, not just for your lives, but as a part of this body, we need to get things ready. It, and, and the readiness that is required to move into something new with the Spirit of God is that each part of you be in alignment, be lined up to his will, his plan, and his purpose. Because it's real hard to move uh, something forward if half of you do not want to go. It's real hard for you to, uh, you know, make a a move forward into something if there are pieces of you that are tucked over here and tucked over there. And all of a sudden you go to make a move and it's like, you know, the top of you moves, but your feet are stuck. And you you just kind of, you jolt forward, but there's no real forward progression because every piece of you has got to get lined up in alignment to the purpose of what God is moving you into. And so God is so good in his kindness and his mercies that there is such mercy for transition that his mercy comes on you to help you adjust, to help you shift and change, to help you let things go. Mercies help you shift into a place of lining up to the purpose of God so that when you take a step because it's time, all of you moves into the new. How many of you are glad for mercy for transition? I can tell you that through the course of my life, I think there's some transitions that didn't feel real smooth. It was more like getting dragged behind a truck on a gravel road, you know. You just felt like you hit every bump and a pothole along the way. And you go, oh, I mean, you got there, but it was not a pleasant experience. And I don't know about you, but, you know, I I really prefer the smooth ride. I really prefer to go the direction of uh, the mercies and the grace of God going, you know what, everything that would be like a hard place, let's just go ahead and deal with that right now by my grace so that I can move you into what I have for you. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of the bumpy transitions, it was on me, it wasn't on God. It wasn't because he didn't prepare me. It was because I made it harder than it really had to be. I lamented, oh God, how could I change? Change? Oh God, no, I really like this. This is fine, and I'm doing a good thing, and I I don't wanna change. It's taken me a long time to get here, And, and this new thing that I feel you moving me into, I don't even know what it is. I don't know what it looks like. I got this under control. God, I like to be in control. I like to know how things are gonna be, and now you're just talking to me about changing things. Change to what? I don't know. How am I gonna look sharp doing that? And so until you can paint me a perfect picture, I'm not going. And all of a sudden, the grace lifts for the place that you are. And what used to be pretty easy all of a sudden gets bumpy, and you're going, God, what's going on? And He said, I told you it's time. And so we make things harder than they have to be, number one, when we drag our feet, number two, when we don't yield to the time that we're in and the change that's happening and let his mercy come upon us to get us ready for what is uncomfortable to our flesh. I sort of define this place as living under what I call a false sense of peace where you know some some things kind of start coming up in your heart that maybe God starts asking of you requiring of you and you just instead of just being an outright disobedience we have christianese vocabulary for this and so instead of just saying no God I don't want to obey you we we say things like this you know I'd love to but I just don't have a peace about that right I'd really like to, but you know, I just, I really believe in the timing of God. And I'm just not sensing it's time for me to make that kind of a commitment. I'm just not sure that I have a peace about giving that up. I mean, trust me, I'd love to. And if Jesus appeared in my room, and, and just told me, you know, all I ever did, then I'd gladly do it. But right now, I just don't have a piece about that. And what we're really saying, it's not a spiritual piece. It's uncomfortable to our flesh. And so our spirit is saying it's time, but our flesh is going, meh, 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 And we're going, oh, turns out I don't have a piece about that. Must not be God. I'm off the hook. Am I in anybody's business today? Don't worry, he's been in mine too, so you're in good company. So living in this place of of a false sense of peace can rob you of the next season that God is moving you into. And if we are willing to admit that what we've been saying we don't have a peace about is really just our flesh being uncomfortable, then all of a sudden, if we'll recognize that, then we can throw that off and say, All right, God. Go ahead, make me uncomfortable because your plan, your purpose, your will really is more important than my will. And I will once again sing the song, I Surrender All. It's not a real popular message in 2019 to the American church. I Surrender All is not our favorite song anymore. I mean, we got a lot of songs that we like, you know, like blessings are overtaking me, right? And, all, and man, I'll sing those with you all day and all night. But the only way that you walk in the reality of that and get beyond just singing the song is if your heart is in the place of I surrender all. And when you get into the place of I surrender all, now you better get ready for blessings to overtake you. Because what does the word say? The willing. And the obedient shall eat the good of the land. And have you figured out by now that when God calls something good, it's not just okay. It's good. Amen? I want you to look at your neighbor and say, it's time. It's time, it's time, it's time. Church, I'm, I'm excited about what God is doing with you. I want you to look in uh, Isaiah, uh, did I tell you where? Now, guys, I can't tell you everything, (laughs) all right? Some things you just need to get by the Spirit of God, okay? Uh, (laughs) That's a terrible preacher joke. Isaiah 41, and um, I want us to just look at this in verse 13. What we're talking about this morning, about getting ready for when God says it's time, is really beginning with recognizing our dependency on God. Look at Isaiah 41 in verse 13. It says, For I, the Lord thy God, will hold you, hold thy, your right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, for I will help you. Um, I like this translation. It says, For I am the Lord your God that takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear. I am here. I will help you. This place of dependency is really not a part of our American culture. In fact, in our, in our culture right now, everything in our culture screams at you, Don't you dare be dependent on anything. Because after all, it might not be there for you. I mean, we have a whole generation that's coming up that just considers themselves totally free of being dependent on anything because they don't need you to school them. They have Google. (laughs) Hello. I got some friends that... um, uh, our youth pastor, college-age pastors in some uh, urban c- cities, Philadelphia. And so I was speaking to a, a group of youth pastors, and so they were doing this roundtable discussion, and this youth pastor in Philly, he stood up, he goes, let me tell you what it's like to minister to this generation. He said, I'm up preaching to my youth group a few weeks ago, and I tell this story, and I give them some facts. And this new kid sitting in the back raises his hand and goes, that's not true, I just Googled that. He's like, dude, you can correct my message later. I am preaching right now, you know. He's like, I got people that I'm thinking that they're listening, getting fed the word of the Lord, and they're back there Googling everything I tell them to see if Google says it's true or not. And so there is a a societal fabric that we are traversing in that everything says, do whatever it takes to be independent. Don't you dare be dependent on anything. Find a way to secure your financial independency. Find a way to secure your independency in every way possible. And if you'll do this, you'll be the happiest because you will be in control. But the kingdom of God, the kingdom operates on the opposite upside-down principle of this. As we just read through the (laughs) prophetic word in Isaiah, he says... Take my right hand, because if you will be dependent upon me, I, the Alpha and Omega, the head of the universe, the one that spoke all things into existence, the one that knew you before you were even in your mother's womb, and as David said, wrote the thesis of your life, before there was even one of your days, I knew all of your days. He said, if you will be dependent on me, I will help you. This isn't a measly handout from a government when God says he's going to help you. Have you read the track record through the Bible of the people God helped? They usually wound up the most prosperous people wherever they lived with the greatest amount of influence. And so you're living in a time and a culture that says be independent, but this is counter to the culture of the kingdom of God that says I'm calling you to dependency on me. Uh, Just last month uh, in May in our nation, we celebrated a day that we have here called the National Day of Prayer. How cool is it that we have that? And I don't know if you caught any of the news coverage, you know, but uh, on the National Day of Prayer, you know, our president stood up and declared our dependency as the United States upon Almighty God. And then, I don't know if you saw this, but after that prayer service, there was a worship service that took place on the lawn of the White House where a a born-again, spirit-filled worship leader stood and gathered a group of Christians and began to declare the name of Jesus as Lord over the United States from our nation's capital. Hey, I'm just saying we need to celebrate the wins in 2019. Because if you listen to the news, they'll have you believe in we're a godless nation. We have rejected God. But I'm telling you that just last month, from the highest place of authority in this nation, the name of Jesus was just declared. And the president of our nation once again declared our dependency on Almighty God. I'll tell you, not too long ago, I was invited to attend a ceremony um, at the headquarters of the FBI. And do you know that as you walk down the hallways of the um, FBI that inscribed on the wall is the scripture verse, uh, the wicked uh, flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. I thought, they can't write God out of our history, it's literally inscribed in the walls of the institution of our nation. I know you're thinking right now, why was she at the FBI headquarters? I I hope she's doing okay. Everything came out fine, praise the Lord. No, I I was there to attend a ceremony. Uh, I want to I share this with you. I don't know if you're aware of this, but um, the National Day of Prayer actually came from a challenge issued to the United States Congress and Senate by Reverend Billy Graham. And he was invited to address a joint uh, session of the Congress, uh, House of Representatives, and our Senators Um, And it was right at the beginning of the Korean War. And there was a lot of decisions that they were considering. And uh, they invited Reverend Billy Graham to come and speak to them. And so at the end of his address, he made this statement and he issued this challenge to our government leaders. And he said, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing? If the people of our nation could see the leaders of our nation bow their knee and acknowledge their dependency upon Almighty God. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if the people of our nation could see the leaders of our nation acknowledge their dependency on Almighty God? And in a miraculous move, there was a joint statement, a joint piece of legislation by every member of the Senate and every member of the House of Representatives came together in agreement. I just want that to just settle on you for a minute. They were all in agreement. And they wrote a bill and they sent it to the president's office calling for an annual national day of prayer that every president of this nation was obligated to pick and choose a day of prayer where we would acknowledge our dependency on Almighty God. And at the time, it was President Harry Truman, and he signed that bill into law. It's amazing to me because what we're talking about today is truly something that has steadied presidents and heads of nations for centuries. It's something that has steadied uh, parents in waiting rooms at hospitals and at the sites of accidents and crisis situations. What could be so powerful is this. It's the acknowledgement of our dependency on God. I remember a time when I, I felt my own dependency on God so, so strongly, maybe more than I ever had before in my life. And I was uh, getting ready to fly to the nation of Grenada. Uh, we shared a little bit about this this weekend. i ministered to that nation for over 18 years. And uh, the Lord had given uh, me an assignment, and he called us to host a first-class nationwide women's conference for the nation of Grenada. And so it took about a year to put together. And When I flew in, when it was time for this event, I found out that I had been invited to come and meet with the president of that nation. I had been there, you know, 17, 18 times before, I didn't even know where the president's government complex was. But when you spend hundreds of thousands of dollars in someone's country, all of a sudden they want to meet with you. It's an amazing thing. And so I can remember the night before that I was supposed to go meet the president, this head of state. And I remember getting on my knees by my bed there where I was staying and just saying, God, how did I get here? You know, I'm, I'm just a girl from Kentucky, and what am I going to say? How am I equipped to handle meeting with the head of a nation? And in that moment, on my knees, suddenly the word of the Lord came to me for that president. And I thought, God, what is this going to look like, you know? And I just remember that night acknowledging my total dependence on him. So that next morning, you know, I got up, got ready. We went to the government complex. And you don't just walk in to the office of a president of a nation and meet them like you do anybody. You don't just walk in and say, hey, how's it going? Uh, Sure, I'll take a caramel macchiato and... (laughs) you know, kick back and and shoot the breeze. So when you arrive, you meet with their staff, and they begin to walk you through a series of protocols. And so these meetings are not left just to happenstance. They're actually very formatted. And so they began to walk us through the protocols of, of titles and all of that, and then they began to walk us through how this meeting would go. And they said, you'll walk in, the president will acknowledge you, and once he is seated, then you are to be seated, and uh, the president will speak first, and he will begin to address you by your title, and thank you for all the work you've done in Grenada, and make whatever statements he'd like to make about the current situation of their nation. And when he's done, and only when he is done, then you are allowed to Thank him for his remarks of what you are doing in the nation and respond to any question he might ask. And then you will stand and shake hands and exit and the meeting will be over. And so after we go through all these protocols, you know, we're waiting in sort of this waiting room. And I remember just sitting there trying to keep all of this in my head. But in my heart, I know I'm carrying this word from the Lord. And I'm thinking, God, how is this supposed to happen? And so all of a sudden the door opened and a gentleman came in and he looked at me and he said, it's time. And so I stood and walked in to the uh, office of this very important man So as I walked in, it went pretty much just like they said. He was sitting behind a very large desk, and there was a semicircle of chairs in front of his desk. And so he stood and acknowledged us, and he was seated. And so then, you know, we were seated. And so he began to make his remarks. And he thanked me for all that uh, my uh, ministry and the teams we had brought in had done for the people of Grenada. And he made very kind remarks about the event we were about to do, and he extended every courtesy to us. And then he began to make remarks about the state of their country and things that were happening. And so uh, when he was done, it was my turn to respond. And so I began to do you know, what they had instructed us to do. And so I thanked the president uh, for the time to meet with him. And I told him about how God had put a love for his nation and the Caribbean islands in my heart. And, and all of a sudden, as I was doing this, suddenly I recognized in my heart Here's a window. You see, when God says it's time, once you're in alignment, what you need to do is start looking for windows of opportunity. And suddenly, I'm in the middle of walking through the protocols, and in my spirit, I mean it was like a flash. When a window of opportunity comes, you don't go home and pray about it for four days. When a window of opportunity comes, you got to take your cues from the Holy Ghost, because you will walk into rooms you never knew you were going to be in. You will sit in meetings. You will be standing across from people in a moment. And all of a sudden, just as you're going through pleasantries, you will sense oh window of opportunity and so as I'm sitting there this window of opportunity just begins to dawn on my heart and I looked at that president and I said sir as we have been coming to serve the people of Grenada we have also been praying for the people of Grenada and sir as we have been praying for this nation (laughs) sir we have been praying for you and I said it would seem in praying for you And I began to relay to him the word of the Lord. I said, sir, in praying for you, it would seem that there are some political relationships that have been longstanding, that have been closely allied around you. And for whatever reason, those political relationships have begun to distance themselves and walk away. And it would be typical in your political prowess to sort of reach out and reassure those relationships and pull them back. But I believe that the Lord wants you to know that if you will let them go, let them walk away, you and Grenada will be better off for it. Well, at this point, the security in the room got a little uncomfortable because we are way off the page of the protocols that they have walked us through. And I remember thinking this is also another kind of window of opportunity where this is either going to be kosher with this guy or I'm going to be dragged out of here, you know, and thrown into some kind of Grenadian jail where they never hear of Jen Tringale Ministries ever again, you know. And so all of a sudden in that moment as this man is just staring at me, as far as I know he's he's not a believer, he's not a Christian man, suddenly he did the strangest thing. And this man that is so powerful lifted up his hands on both sides of his head and he sort of dropped his head and he went like this. Then let them go. Let them go. And at that moment, I realized, God, this is another window of opportunity because you just got his agreement. He just came into alignment with your word. And I knew that there was another window here. And so in this moment, I said, Sir, may we have a word of prayer together? May I pray for you? And he shook his head yes, and that man dropped his head almost to his desk as he acknowledged, maybe for the first time, his total dependency on God. You see, our dependency on God is our most powerful position. It can be so easy to slip over into places of ambition. And ambition will drive you. But acknowledging your dependency on God will lead you into the places that God has prepared for you. This is the position of power. Um, There's so many people in the world that we're living in that are trying to secure their own happiness through their independence. And it's really sad because It's never going to be enough for them because we do not have it within ourselves to secure ourselves. We are actually pre-made and pre-wired to be dependent on him. It's what empowers us. It's what fools us to our Pulls us to our full potential. It's the only way we're going to hit on all cylinders of everything God made us to be. It's not when we get good enough. It's not when we get strong enough. We we get the strongest when we are actually so dependent on him. That's when you see the best of you come out of you. But the world tries so hard to secure, they buy the lie, and they try and secure their independence, their happiness through their independency. And sooner or later, they all find out that it's not enough and it doesn't work. I've known multimillionaires that have secured their own independency financially and security in every way, and they still hit rock bottom and bottom out. And so, when humanity finds out that in and of themselves they're not enough to secure their own happiness, humanity reaches for the next step and they move from independency to codependency. And codependency reaches out typically from human to human and says, I now need you to make me happy. And I need you to be everything that I cannot be for myself. And if the human that I have isn't doing it for me, then maybe I'll just dump this person and I'll find another person. And if I can just find somebody that looks like this and acts like this and makes me feel this, then this codependency will secure my own happiness. But sooner or later they find out that humanity can't secure humanity. We don't have it within us. We don't carry the ability to secure one another. People walk into marriages so many times this way and say, Well, I'm just so lonely and insecure, and if I just had someone, then I'll be secure, and then I'll be happy. But some of the loneliest people I know are married. And all of a sudden, humanity finds out that humanity can't secure humanity. And so then they switch from human codependency to substance codependency. This is why we're living in a culture full of multi-generations of Alcoholics and substance abuse victims, where all of a sudden they look to whatever the substance is they've grabbed onto, usually the one they're most familiar with, to try and secure themselves from the inside. And you and I know where that road leads it robs them of the very life that they're trying to secure. Money will never do it. Acknowledgements will never do it. People thinking you're at the top of your field is never going to do it. Drugs can't do it. Alcohol, there's not a high that can secure That's right. your security. And the whole time, there stands Jesus with extended hands saying, Would you please let me save you from yourself? If you would just come unto me, all that are weary. No wonder we're weary and heavy laden with all the stuff that you put on you, that you grabbed onto to try to secure you, that now you're in bondage to. All you that are weary from the work of it and that are heavy laden in bondages and secret addictions, would you just come unto me and I will give you rest. You see, your soul requires an anchor to feel secure. But there is only one anchor and his name is Jesus. He says, would you come, and in essence, would you just take the ultimate trust fall and fall into my arms? For as we read from the prophet Isaiah, I will uphold you by my right hand, and you will not fear. This dependency place on him is our greatest place. But I have to tell you this morning that this is not the end of the relationship road that God has designed for us to walk with him. Because in the same way that we are so dependent upon him, God took it a step further. And he said, once you say yes to my invitation, to as 1 Peter 5 says, cast your care on me for I will care for you, he walks us into this grand relationship with Him. That once we come into a place of dependency, all of a sudden God sort of surprises us and He says, Now that you're in relationship with me, now that you're redeemed and back a part of the family, I need to let you know something. I'm actually dependent on you. I, I believe a, a great man of God, John Wesley, really summed this up best. He made this statement. He said, It seems that God is limited by man's prayer life. He said, It seems that God can do nothing in the earth lest a man or woman of God asks him to. We read over the course of this weekend in Isaiah where God said, I will confirm the word of my servants. Uh, Turn over, if you will, uh, just a few pages to Isaiah 51. uh, And this shows us this place that God has put us in of not just dependency with him, but his relationship of actually being dependent on us. Look at what the prophet Isaiah said in chapter 51 in verse 15. He says, but I am the Lord your God that divided the sea whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is his name. Look at verse 16. And I have put my words in your mouth and I have covered you in the shadow of my hand that I might plant the heavens and lay the foundations of the earth and say unto Zion, my church, you are my people. Verse 17 says, so awake. Awake. And then he says, stand up. If you turn one page over in my Bible to chapter 52, again, the prophet Isaiah makes this statement in verse 1. He says, awake, wake up. Put on your strength, O Zion, and put on your beautiful garments. You can almost hear a reverberation, maybe of the same tone, the same spirit that was in the words of Reverend Billy Graham when he issued that charge to the House of Representatives and to the Senate. And he said, wake up, acknowledge your dependency on God, because what you need God to do in this nation, he's actually dependent upon you. The prophet Isaiah says, this is how this thing's going to happen. When you get in dependency on me, I'm actually going to put my words in your mouth. And when you speak my words, I'm going to plant the heavens in the earth. We said this this weekend. Did you know that our God is so audacious? He actually believes that the city of Omaha is his. Doesn't the Bible say the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof? I mean, he takes it literal he believes all the businesses are his he believes your school systems are his He believes your government is his. He believes all the components, all the industries, all the corporations, everything that goes on here, God actually believes it's his. And he has plans for planting the kingdom of God in the city of Omaha. And in case you're waiting, he's not going to send a visitation of angelic ones from heaven to make it all happen. He doesn't need to. He's got you. And he says, so I'm going to send you into places in this city. And as you take positions and places, I'm going to give you things to say. I'm going to put my words in your mouth. And when you say what I tell you to say, I'm going to plant the heavens in the earth. Hallelujah. Paul talked about this. He said, you are no longer slaves. You are, what did he call us? Friends. Then in another place, he took it a step further and he said, You are co-laborers with God. He didn't say you're spectators. He said you're co-laborers. God has walked us into this divine sort of romance of a relationship with him where he says, Be dependent on me. But then watch, because I'm actually dependent on you. What kind of God would do that? A God who is a God of love. I never saw this uh, play out so much as, um, I don't know, maybe about four or five years ago. And and, uh, I was taking a team over to Grenada, and To be honest with you, on this particular trip, we were just going to go in and and strengthen the local churches, you know, and so we were on the plane heading over there, and I was sitting on the plane, and and I said, Lord, you know, we've sought you about this particular assignment. You've given us some direction to strengthen the churches, and we're going to do that, but God, is there anything else you'd like to say to me about this trip? You know, the interesting thing is I had this sense in my heart that when I did that, it was like God was so pleased that I asked him that. It was sort of like, "I'm Jen. I'm so glad you asked." And so the just the voice of the Lord came up in my heart. It wasn't an audible voice, and he said, uh, "He said I'm so glad you asked." And he said, "Yes, there is." I said, "All right, Lord, I'm listening." He said, "On this trip, I want you to conduct spiritual business." Well, to be honest with you, I'm thinking. This is 14, 15 years going to this country. If we haven't been conducting spiritual business, what have we been doing? But boy, I'm so thankful for men and women of God in my life that trained me how to work with God. And uh, I learned a lesson that when God speaks something to you, even if you think you know what he means, the smartest thing you can do, rather than slap your own interpretation on it, is hold that back up to the Lord and say, now God... What do you mean by that? Because he's always going to show you more. And so I I certainly didn't understand. And I said, God, what do you mean by conduct spiritual business? And then God said something to me that, to be honest with you, I think is maybe one of his favorite things to say to me because he says it so often. And he said, aw, Jen, I'll show you when you get there. (laughs) And I'm thinking, God... I'm, I'm open right now. I'm sitting on this plane for another five hours. It'd be great to know ahead of time for a change. And he wasn't moved by that in the slightest, you know. And so apparently I was on a need-to-know basis. <laughs> So we fly into Grenada. We get settled at the base where we're staying and we'd already prepared for the pastors of Grenada to come to the base and meet with us that next morning. And we were going to have a prayer meeting and we were going to be praying for the nation of Grenada Grenada, and say, God, what is it you're wanting to do in Grenada right now? What is the key to this nation? See, everything that God has a plan for, there's a key for it to unlock it. And if you will ask him what it is, he will show you the key. when you use the key and you turn the key it will open things up so we've got these pastors coming in you know and so they gather in and so I've got my team there I said now we're going to be praying for the nation of Grenada so this isn't the time to pray for your grandma and pray for the desire of your heart and if you have a heart for China that's great but we're praying for Grenada And so we began to just kind of school them, you know, about how to pray corporately. And we just said, you know, the way that you can pray, we're going to be praying in the spirit, pray the word. The way that you pray is you put your personality into your prayer life. See, sometimes I I kind of feel bad for God because sometimes we come in to pray. And if you're filled with the spirit, you pray with other tongues. Sometimes we come in to pray corporately and we get in there. We start out pretty good. But then somewhere in there, we kind of just put it on autopilot, you know. And so you're just praying, you're going, and then all of a sudden your mind is like, I need to go to the grocery store and and pick up groceries for tomorrow. I think we're out of laundry detergent. And you go, oh, man, I'm supposed to be praying. You know, am I the only one that's been there? And so I was coaching them, and I said, look, the way that I was taught, the way that I learned is you pray in tongues with the spirit of faith, and the way you do that is you put your personality into it. God gave you that personality. So, you know, as an example, I mean, if I came through Omaha, and uh, I called Pastor Jeanette, and I I said, hey, um, could you meet me at Starbucks? I need to tell you something. And she said, well, you know, okay, sure. And so she comes to Starbucks and slides in, and and so she's like, Jen, what is it? And I said, "Uh, well, I said, "Um, I have something to tell you. She said, okay. I said, well, um, I just want to tell you that I came through, and I went to the mall, and when I went to the mall, I went into Macy's, and when I was in Macy's, I saw this top, and it just looked like you, and it was amazing. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't, and uh, it was kind of blue, but it was kind of this, and and uh, I, I can tell you right now, she'd have her phone under the table, you know, texting Pastor Tony saying, call me with a fake crisis <laughs> and get me. Because this bottom line woman is not going to waste time. Hello. And so, and who could blame her? But now on the other hand, she slid into Starbucks, you know, and she said, well, Jen, you know, what is it? What is it? And she sat down and I said, hold on to your seat. I'm just minding my own business, walking through the store, and I see the top of my life. And it occurs to me, you would look amazing in this top. And it's blue, and then it's got this, and I'm just going on and on. And in just a few minutes, she's going to be like, Jen, stop talking. We're going to the mall. I'm going to get that top. Why? Because I per- put my personality into it. Why, when we go to talk with God, do we... I mean, it's poor God, you know, he's got to <laughs> listen to this. And so we're saying, pray with the spirit of faith. Pray like you're in the know when you pray in tongues because you are. The Bible says your spirit, your mind is unfruitful, but your spirit is praying. And you're praying out mysteries. So by the time we told him this, I mean, this team is like, Jen, stop talking. We're excited to pray. And so we started praying for Grenada. So we get into prayer, I don't know, maybe 15 minutes or so. And uh, I'm thinking I probably need to just stop everybody praying and check in with the team because we've been praying for a while. And I'm glancing at them, and I can tell they're hanging in there, but they're kind of giving me the one eye. You know what I mean? Where you're praying, but you're kind of looking at the leader going, does she know what we're doing? Because... I'm not really getting anything. And so I had dropped my head. I closed my eyes and I thought, okay, Holy Spirit, I'm going to just stop them and just kind of reaffirm everybody and make sure we're all together. And so when I did this, um, I thought, okay, I lifted my head and I went to open my eyes to address the team. But when I did, the team was gone. And when I opened my eyes, standing about from me to the sound booth, was this magnificent angel, and he was massive. Um, he was so intense. I can remember uh, the shock of it. I, I, I understand now why the Bible says every time somebody saw an angel, they said, don't be afraid. I get it, because when I saw him, I thought, I am so glad we work for the same side. <laughs> yes. You are scary. (laughs) He was just, um, it was like strength was emanating off of him. And he was standing like this. And he had this intense, almost, he wasn't angry, but that's how fierce the expression was on his face. And then I noticed that next to him was a chair. It was like a seat. It, It almost looked like a throne. And he was standing next to it like this. And I heard the word of the Lord come to me. And he said, now concerning the nation of Grenada. He said, there is a seat of authority concerning this nation. And he said, evil has gotten in it. And he said, I want you to get evil out and put righteousness back in. I thought, God, how in the world do you do that? And so I'm sitting there in that moment, and again, I lifted this up to the Lord. I said, God, how do, we, how do I do that? I mean, I know enough to know you don't just go into war tongues and just confess every scripture you can think of and just say whatever pops in your head, because we only do this one way, the way Jesus did it. I only say what I hear my father say. That's the key to every situation. I only do what I see my father do. And so I'm standing there and I said, God, how do we do this? Now, this is an interesting piece because the next voice that I heard in my spirit was not the voice of God. And it wasn't even the voice of my own spirit. The next voice that I heard in my heart was the voice of my pastor. And my pastor, years before, had preached like a fifteen-week series on angels. I can remember those of us that were on staff were thinking, "Is he ever going to preach on anything else besides angels?" I know, pastor, you've never preached a series (laughs) long on anything ever, and uh, I I mean, I can just week. I just thought. I never knew there was so much in the Bible about, I mean, week after week after week. But there was this one Sunday that we came in. And Pastor got up to announce the message in the series on angels. And he said, today the Lord's given me a word, and I'm titling it, How Angels Help Apostles Shift Regions. Wouldn't you like to hear that message? Well, you can for 1995. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's what I heard come up in my heart. And I thought, I just said to the Lord, I said, well, Lord, I hear what you're saying to me, but I don't know that right now I'm standing necessarily in the office of an apostle. And the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me, and he said, uh, did you send yourself on this assignment, or did I send you? I said, Father, you sent me. He said, is an apostle not a sent one? I said, yes, sir. He said, then you are functioning under an apostolic authority. I can't tell you how glad I was that on the 15th Sunday of pastor preaching on angels, I wasn't sitting out in the coffee cafe because I'd heard it all before. I'm so thankful that on that particular Sunday when pastor got up to announce another message on angels, that I wasn't clued out on my phone, on Facebook. Because little did I know that that message he preached that day, I was going to absolutely need in a pivotal assignment that God had for me years later. I'll tell you, we cannot afford to get familiar with the voices of our pastors and our leaders in our life. It could very well be that they are giving us the words that are going to be the hinge point of a major assignment connected to our lives. I said, all right. Well, at this point, I knew the team was really wondering what was going on. So at this point, I opened, I lifted my head again, opened my eyes. There was the team. I told the team what I saw. I said, now, team, this is what God has given us to do. And I said, so we're going to do this like Jesus did it. We're going to go back into prayer, and we're going to wait on words. And so sure enough, we got into prayer. We just started praying, listening to the Lord. Sure enough, here came words. Words came. I'll tell you, when we began to declare them, you could feel it reverberating in the room. You could feel it when we went after that, that evil, whatever that force was in that seat. You could feel it when we shifted evil out. But that's not all God said to do. He said, I want you to get evil out and I want you to put righteousness back in. So what do we do? We just go back into prayer. Words came. We started declaring the word of the Lord. What did Isaiah say? I'm going to put my words in your mouth. And when you speak them, I'm going to plant the heavens in the earth. Because not only have you come into dependency on me, I am dependent on you. We spoke that. Boy, you could feel it when righteousness got back in. And for those of you that are given to things of prayer, you know what I'm talking about. When that note of victory comes, when you know you've got the situation turned in the spirit, all of a sudden, like an unseen hand of a conductor in that room with all those people, we're in this uh, intense place of prayer. And when we got righteousness back in, it was like that thing shifted and broke, and peace came, and a hush came over the room. And we just knew we did it. I was standing there and just sitting in that piece and I just was standing there thinking, boy, God, you weren't kidding when you said conduct spiritual business. And so again, I lifted my head to open my eyes to address the team and said, so, wow, we did it. And when I did, there was that angel again. And there was that seat. It was the wildest thing. I, I'd never had an encounter like that before. Really not like that since. And all of a sudden, an interesting thing occurred. Because without any notice, all of a sudden, without even looking up, that angel moved. And he took one step over and he stepped in to that seat. And when he did that, I thought, we did it. But then something happened that I will never forget. And this is why this word is so real to me. Because that angel all of a sudden lifted his head and locked eyes with me. And then he bowed his head and he thanked me. And I knew in that moment that we were sent there on assignment, but so was he. But he couldn't do his assignment until we did ours. Doesn't the word of God say, ministering spirits, are they not sent to minister to and for the heirs of salvation? The things we're talking about this morning, these are not for the uber spiritual alone. These are not super woo-woo spiritual things. I'm saying this is a part of the divine relationship that we've been invited into. I'm not telling you you're going to show up to work on Monday and and see angels necessarily. But I am saying that God is looking over the earth for the availability of the sons and the daughters of God. That in the middle of the workplace would acknowledge their dependency on him and then acknowledge his dependency on you to do some things in that workplace that he's so longing to do, but he cannot do without you. If God has plans for Omaha, what we should be asking ourselves this morning is, God, when we are called to live in a time where you're saying, it's time, what is my part to play? What is our part to play? Church, you could look around this morning and say, wow, look at us. I mean, we're in this beautiful building. Our pastor is, is an incredible teacher. We love each other, and God's doing things, and, and all of this is great. But church, can I say this to you this morning? As wonderful as this is, and you should be thrilled about it, you can't stay here. Because you and I both drove past subdivision after subdivision of hundreds of broken homes and broken people and broken families that are in the fight for independence or in the bondages of codependence that have no idea that there's a Savior with outstretched hands that isn't waiting for them to fix themselves. He's saying, come unto me. And they're not going to just get themselves up on a Sunday morning and randomly drive to this church and walk themselves in. They probably are going to need to encounter and have a conversation and maybe even develop a relationship with you. Church, we got to get comfortable again with being in the world, but not of the world. To be able to form relationships with the world without being influenced by them, but then being influenced by us. That you could get to a place where before you minister to them, you have loved them. Because no one has the right to speak into anybody's life if they haven't first shown them the love of God first. It's not an exciting post for Instagram to love somebody. It's not the big moment that everybody looks for for the moments of destiny. But there is no way that someone's going to give you entrance to meet them at their point of need if you haven't exuded the kindness and the love of God in the first place. It It might not be the most exciting day, but it is the hinge point moment where everything can change. Because somewhere in that conversation, someday, there'll be a moment when they ask, where does your strength come from? They might not say it that way, but they'll find their words. And when they do, you can say, well, I can tell you or I could show you. Why don't you come with me to a place that will help you get free and help you become everything God always intended you to be. Why don't you come to church with me this Sunday? You go, could it really be that easy? Could God really sit in the throne of a city called Omaha, Nebraska? I believe he does. I believe he can. I believe he is ready to make the kingdoms of this world the kingdoms of our God.